guys, this is Danny. And this is Molly. And this is Black Chicklet, and we're joined with a special guest this episode. Yay! Another one. We're so popular this summer. <laughs> we're here with the Ms. Oh, New York Times best-selling author. Get Alyssa it right, Cole. she said. <laughs> Alyssa Cole. Hi. Congratulations. Thank you. I was telling, I think I was talking before the recording, I was so excited because like, as I mentioned, I came in, I feel like sort of early at the start of your career and like just seeing you, you know, take off. I've been so proud. So thank you. Yes. Danielle has been like, look at this book. Look at the dress on this book. Look at that book. <laughs> when you showed up to KissCon wearing the same dress as your cover model, that was truly <laughs> a power moment. That was, and that wasn't even planned. Like Erica was like, I have the dress. And I was like, I don't think I can fit it, but I will try. I was also just like tired. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> Maybe if I had like all of my faculties, I probably would not have worn it. But I was like, I, I am tired and slightly out of it from traveling. And you know what? This is actually pretty comfortable. I think I'm just <laughs> gonna wear it for the whole day. Why not? I think it was an A plus movie. So. Do, doing clinch poses with people. <laughs> it was great. You like everyone kept saying, like, did you see Alyssa Cole's dress? Did you see Alyssa Cole's dress? This is gorgeous. So yes. But we are here to discuss your first ever thriller when no one is watching. I guess a thriller is the subtitle, but yes. So when no one is watching, which the cover text describes as rear window meets get out. So we're excited. And we have a lot of thoughts and a lot of rage. <laughs> I also had a lot of rage, which you probably I, picked up. <laughs> probably might have noticed. <laughs> I, was, I was like, Alyssa Cole is here to teach some people some things with this book. Right. Y'all just sit down and shut up. Right. Uh, so I do want to check it out, Molly. Are you like, okay, are you, I just want to make sure you all are, I didn't. Oh, because the didn't sky turned it. orange. Yes. <laughs> are you all doing? Okay. You know, I'm, I'm just staying inside okay. where I was already. So, <laughs> oh, poor baby can't even go outside. I know he's anemic now because he can't ever go see the sun. Uh, <laughs> he's gonna grow up. He's gonna grow up. Be like, Mommy, what's that? Do you did you ever read that story when you were a kid? It was like a short story, and the kids were like on Venus, and they could go yes. out. Like, yes, um, it's a Ray Ray Brad Ray, Ray Bradbury story. Um, that's one of the most fucked up stories. Isn't it? <laughs> I'm well, blanking on the title, but I, I can never remember. Like we read it, it was like in like a textbook. And it's like uh like the kids live why, on Venus. Why were they having why were they having children read that? Because if you read it as an adult, oh, they, don't give, they don't give a fuck in Missouri. Um, but that's that's my baby. He can't go outside. It's um all summer and a day. Mm. Truly, truly a, one of the most messed up stories I've ever read. I'm gonna have to look it up because I'm not familiar with this story. Oh yeah, it's me. Yeah. You and your baby. <laughs> uh, well, he seems thriving from what I can tell. Um, but yeah, so I'm glad you're doing okay. We hope everyone in California is able to be safe and evacuate. Yeah. I don't know. Every time I see those photos, I'm like, it's like the introduction from Terminator Judgment Day. Like you're, yes. I don't know why that's the reference I jumped to and it's disturbing, but yeah. So, uh, okay. So uh, I do want to ask you, and you've probably 
are sick of answering this question, but I like would like to know more about it. Like, what was it like switching? Because you are a romance author, and I don't want to get it twisted. Like, you didn't leave romance like with that one headline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, I have a book coming out in December. Can you <laughs> relax? Girls trying to move titles. So yeah, so you are, I guess, traditionally you are known as a romance author, but yes. what was it like to like jump in and write a thriller and probably like switch gears so entirely in terms of genre, in terms of like setting and mood and all that stuff? Um, it was really fun actually. And something I've talked about, um, I actually don't know if I've talked about it this much during this whole like tour, virtual tour thing, but one of the reasons I have mentioned many times in the past for why I write romance is that I actually do tend to write really dark, or I did. Like, I, my stories would always have romance, but also always have like some really messed up stuff in it. Uh, and part of the reason I liked romance was that there was a guaranteed happily ever after, even if I was writing something a bit darker. Uh, like one thing I always think of is when I was in college, I took um, a creative writing course. I took two semesters with this author, this professor who was also an author, but uh, I was also extremely quiet in college. And so I was, just, I never really talked in class uh, anxiety as I found out later, but I was like, I'm shy. No, it was anxiety. Um, but it, but basically, so I was ready. One day he asked me to stay after class. Oh gosh. And he, and I was like, did I get in trouble? And he was like, you know, complimenting me. And he was also like, I really did not expect these kinds of stories from you because they were like extremely disturbing. I think he was also partially being like, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like sitting quietly in class and he's like getting these like super messed up stories. Um, like one of the stories I wrote was um, a retelling of the metamorphosis, except it was about a racist uh, Ku Klux Klan member who wakes up as a black guy and then uh, gets lynched by his friends. <laughs> so that's like, when I started to write like dark stuff, uh, and then I like, you know, I was also writing like some romantic things too. It's why like, what is up with this girl? But um, so for me, it was kind of fun to go back to that or be able to lean into that a little bit more uh, than I, cause I do have like some things that are, you know, pretty dark and some of like, for example, the Loyal League series. Um, which is that during the Civil War and dealing with slavery and stuff like that. Uh, but generally, I try to keep it light, lighter in the romances because I, you know, I don't want my readers like upset when they go to a romance looking for happily ever after. And yes, sometimes hard things happen in romance, but I generally try to keep it not too, I don't want it to be too upsetting, too triggering. Um, I want people to be able to enjoy it and to come away feeling better hopefully if they were not feeling good, feeling better than they felt when they started. So with, with this, I kind of got to dig a bit back into the, the darker stories uh, that I used to write. And also um, for me, I felt like I got a lot better at it because of romance, uh, because in romance, like you really are doing similar things to a thriller. You're trying to guide the reader in a certain emotional direction 
and romance. It's, uh, you know, toward happiness and there's a tension, but like emotional tension and you're laying down clues and stuff for that, that the reader's like, oh my God, they looked at each other this way. This is, <laughs> what does this mean? Uh, but with the thriller, it was trying to be like, you know, they looked at each other this way. Is he going to try and kill her? <laughs> so like <laughs> leaning towards, uh, you know, the other end of the spectrum. Um, but still things that I feel like I was really able to hone through my romance writing and then kind of apply it to instead of making people feel good or digging into like joy and love, digging into like anxiety and um, paranoia and all of those. And rage. Yes, and rage. Yeah, I definitely felt tense reading it. <laughs> so many emotions. Um, I just, as you were talking, I realized, and this is gonna be a dumb question, I guess I don't technically know what a thriller is. Like, if you told me murder mystery, I know what to expect to a point. And even suspense, I know what to expect. For some reason, I kept expecting thriller. It's like, I kept expecting supernatural elements. And it's like, not. <laughs> but I'm like, uh, no. in my head? No, I think, I mean, I think there are some thrillers with supernatural elements, but um, I think in general, it's just a story that's, driven like you know romance is driven by the relationship between the protagonist and I think with the thriller it's driven like a mystery it's driven by the character being kind of put in a situation that they have to figure out mm -hmm. um and that can vary like it can in romance so yeah. you know everything from like Tom Clancy or who is the guy of a Jurassic Park <laughs> I'm totally blanking Michael Crichton oh, yeah. and stuff like so there are like domestic thrillers, legal thrillers, and um, you know, the girl on the train and those kind of newer thrillers. And this one is kind of is like a thriller with um some horror elements, I would say, mm -hmm. leaning a bit into that. Yeah. So yeah. And so it was just I really liked the whole tension in the rage. I was gonna ask, did you study up? Like, did you read any authors and who did you read while you were I guess, preparing to write your own thriller? I went, you know, as a kid, I was very into Stephen King, uh, Mary Higgins Clark, Michael Crichton. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I read all kinds of things, but that was included. In <laughs> um, newer books, I did read some of the popular um, domestic thrillers, like The Girl on the Train and um, Gone Girl and stuff like that. But then I was like, this is not actually really what I'm writing. Uh, or like what I'm aiming for, but it did like it. It was helpful seeing what that particular kind of thriller was like. Um, but I tried to make it more in a way. It was actually in my head like more cinematic, mm -hmm. like thinking about mm -hmm. like Hitchcock, thinking about um, Jordan Peele, but also thinking about the things uh, that I watched when I was a kid, like horror. Um, like, you know, the people under the stairs <laughs> and like um, all of the horror movies I was watching when, that I shouldn't be watching as a kid. And then also just, you know, real life, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, and I actually was worried as I was writing it because I was like, obviously, I am not an established thriller writer and I didn't want to come in being like, I don't care about your conventions. I did. Mm -hmm. I was trying to stay I mean I think what I normally do go by the conventions of the genre respect the conventions of the genre and also um 
figure out the kind of story that I wanted to tell. Yeah. yeah that makes I sense. wonder if that's like, and Daniel, you kind of brought this up the other day, like, because you are a quote unquote, like genre writer, um, coming into another genre, you had that understanding of conventions and structure and character and stuff to respect instead of saying like, because I feel like sometimes like the literary writers come in and I know you just talked about this Danielle. And Somebody like, read my conventions. I can do it so much better. And then it comes out like just, I, I don't know an example of when that's worked really well, but I feel like, you know, people shit all over like genre writers and it's like, but yeah. it's a skill, it's a craft and you can move from one genre to the other in a way that I think sometimes literary writers, unless they're really stellar, can't always do. Yeah. yeah, I definitely wanted to be respectful because there are plenty of people who have been doing this for a long time and who have like really studied, you know, are very much enmeshed in the thriller world. And I didn't like I wasn't trying to be like, I am going to elevate the thriller or anything like that. I was just like, here's this story. Um, I it fit, I'm trying to, uh, you know, stay pretty, I wanted to write like a thriller, but um, basically what I didn't want to do, which not all thrillers do, which I felt like a trend in some of more, the more recent uh, big thrillers was kind of like examining how the characters are monsters or, you know, humans can mm -hmm. be monstrous and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I guess I, with this, I was kind of trying trying to examine more like monstrous systems mm -hmm. rather than specific. I wanted the people to be likable on some level or the protagonist to be likable on some okay. level, like messed up, but you know, <laughs> messed up and, you know, going through it, but relatively normal, <laughs> normally mm -hmm. unlikable, I guess, or like, you know, um, just kind of some mostly average people who are kind of put in these, this situation and have to respond to it rather than people who are like Super creating cool. a situation because they are terrible. Yeah. yeah. I think you did well, like they're flawed and they have very big flaws, but they're still sympathetic <laughs> and you can still sort of, they read as real people and not like some kind of super villain who's trying to, I don't know, take over the world or something. One thing I do like about thrillers, since we're talking about characters, how, like, what I've learned, I haven't read a lot of them, but I have read it, some of the big modern ones. So, like, Girl on the Train and, like, God Girl is, like, you can't trust the narrators. Yeah. And, like, that's one thing I've kind of learned on thrillers and, like, that adds to the tension. And it just, I don't know, I really like that because it just, especially with Sydney, she seems really fragile. And yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Theo Which is definitely like different, especially for, like, you know, a traditional black female protagonist. Yeah. yeah. It's like you're supposed to be like, well, whatever happens, like I got shot. And, <laughs> you know, I like, was thinking about that. Their eyes are watching God and girl yeah. like fell in a river. Survived like, a hurricane. And the thing yeah. is, just like, yep. Yeah. 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 Like, like Sydney, I kind of just wanted her to be, you know, realistic and realistic in the sense of a lot of black women, which is, Yes, we can be strong, but it's not like some innate thing. We are not naturally built to be stronger. It's generally because we literally have to be because no one else is going to be looking out for us. Mm -hmm. um, and we sometimes aren't successful, but you know that's seen as something pathological rather than a woman going through it. Yeah. So with Sydney, I kind of wanted to show like you know someone dealing with mental health issues dealing with drinking too much, dealing with just kind of 
breaking under the stress that generally black women are supposed to say, okay, well, here's what we're gonna do now and I'm gonna get it all together. Um, and also on some level being frustrated with herself that she isn't this strong woman who can deal with all of these things, which is what she thinks she's supposed to be able to do. Um, so, you know, a lot of, I generally try when I'm writing my heroines who are generally black to show like different aspects of, you know, our humanity, which is like, yes, sometimes we're strong and, but people often, also we can be strong in different ways. And also um, there is often a reason why we are strong if we are going to be strong. Um, and it's not always fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, like something, one reaction to like Nia, Naya in um, A Prince on Paper is also kind of a reaction to that where it's like, okay, we get to be kind of soft and naive and stuff too. That doesn't mean that we're not strong. Yeah. It's just another personality, personality like any other person. Uh, and like, I'm not like sitting like, yes, here is my checklist of what I'm going to show we are, but it's just like, okay, this is a character that comes to me. And then after I'm sometimes like, oh, okay, people might have a different reaction because sometimes they, I feel like um, readers might want black heroines to be like avatars of strength and like, yes, this is the badass woman I can get behind. <clears throat> and it's like, okay, yeah, we all are badass in different ways, but also it's not always a great thing it's yeah. often not a great thing it's just something you have to do when you could be like relaxing somewhere yeah so. or it comes with the cost because you could yeah. sort of see your mental health deteriorating yeah right. progressed yeah which definitely i think you know i haven't seen in a thriller before and it kind of i don't want to say like it hit different for me but like especially in 2020 like being black and reading this there's always that threat like in the back of your personally in the back of your mind that yeah everything's just gonna fall apart for black women it's like so much stress so much stress so much stress and to see that like anxiety like reflected in this character felt very real and very like of this time so yeah. i think it added to like the thriller aspect. And I was like, oh, is this what like white women felt when they read Gone Girl? Like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, you know, what's her name? Amy's like Amy. super rage. And I was like, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> yeah, that's probably is. I think it's also just the atmosphere in the name. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going. I want to talk about the rage and I'm trying to put it off, but like, I want to talk about. Like this book took me so long to read because I would read like two chapters and then I had to put it down because mm -hmm. something would happen. And I was like, I know where this is going. And I, cause you can, yeah. it's, like, it's like, you see that first car in a car accident hit that. And then you see all of them. Yeah. It's, like, it's going to end badly. Yeah. And I don't know exactly how it's all going to fall out. Like I don't want, but I know what the general situation is going to be. So like that first, I think the first, first of all, Kim as a character, I remember reading to myself like Alyssa Cole can write a white woman who makes you mad because what was who was the character who was the character in an an extraordinary union is it Rebecca the uh, the daughter the daughter uh, of the oh yeah yes because like I'm like yes. giving me like I can't remember her name I'm thinking like, Sarah you would know better than I but I'm like she's giving me I, I honestly don't <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long two weeks I'm like where's the book I need to go. <laughs> but like it's giving me that similar energy. I was like, ooh, Alyssa Cole can tap into that that Karen kind of mindset. And I like, feel like actual aggressions like gave me a shot. This is something 
yeah, that I feel like I, you know, when I have kind of villains dealing with race, um, I do often have white women as well as white men because I feel like there can be this idea that, and that idea has been blown out of the water this past summer, hopefully, with all of these videos of like white women just being recorded being white like literally before i got on the call i saw a video of a woman in a <laughs> verizon store just like attacking one of the cus the workers because she was asked to put on a mask a mask and like throwing a heavy thing at them and i was just like and i really i mean that in itself could be a horror movie the pat the videos from the past summer is Thank, like... i keep saying that i keep saying that like at the beginning of fucking like uh that one where they 28 days later 28 days later and like someone sitting there like eating cereal and there's like a woman going crazy in a verizon store and they were like we didn't know it was the rage virus at the time like <laughs> this shit is like driving me crazy like what the hell what's going on it is truly bizarre, but I think it's something, I mean, one of the reasons I always included it in my books is because I really um, wanted to be clear that a lot of the microaggressions and flat out aggressions that black people face do come from white women. It's a systemic thing. It's not like, oh, you know, we always talk about annoying white men um, or racist white men, but like it is, you know, a systemic thing. And I, for me, like when I was re doing research for um, the Loyal League series, a lot of the things that stood out were the ways in which uh, slave mistresses were extremely cruel for no reason. And, you know, there was like, they were kind of didn't have, they were disenfranchised in their own way and were kind of taking what power they had and using it to abuse the people below them. Um, and I feel like that, well, at that point, I was just kind of pissed off thinking about like Gone with the Wind and kind of how this archetype had been held up for so long as a, a an image of strength. Mm -hmm. and girl power or whatever and I'm like no <laughs> this is not girl power to me like this is someone who would have like hit me upside the head with a metal stick or something like yeah uh, so it's... I kind of <laughs> it said that you know that was kind of channeled into the Loyal League series um particularly the first two books uh, not so much the the third book which is dealing with other things but um and i did want it to be the focus of the book but i did kind of want to address how that plays out and i think black women see it more than anyone else maybe which is why um you know just with the way hierarchical things in society or presumed hierarchy uh in our society works and what happens uh when you were get faced with what we've been seeing this summer, which is mm -hmm. that a lot of white women do have power, um, can't, are violent, um, often it wouldn't manifest as, you know, trying to beat up a worker <laughs> at mm -hmm. a store, but it would manifest in other ways, like your teachers, your supervisor mm -hmm. at work, uh, someone doing your paperwork somewhere, just making it harder for you than it has to be. Or, you know, some of the things like in the book, like the purse clutching, which I feel like, you know, something, I don't think about it a lot, but when I think about it, I feel like every time it happened to me, it was such a ridiculous situation because um, like, for example, I used to dress like, I mean, I'm on an island now, so I'm usually just wearing a tank top <laughs> and like <laughs> jeans or sweatpants. 
But I, you know, would, I had my like little, I guess, girl with the dragon tattoo sheet <laughs> going on. Like, you know, leather jacket, chick kicker boots, skinny jeans, like that. And for mo most of my life, I would dress like that and occasionally like, you know, glam it up and stuff like that. But I, it was never, some people generally didn't clutch their purse when I was dressed like that. It would be mm. like, I'm wearing four inch heels in a dress. Mm. And you think I'm gonna what grab your purse and run down the street in heels. So to me, it seemed like a method of um, putting me in my place rather yes. than actual fear. Like, look, she looks good. She thinks she's better than me. Go in your purse. I'm gonna make her feel bad. <laughs> like we're we're on a train. <laughs> yeah, like we're on a train that's in a tunnel. Am I going to grab your purse in the middle, like while we're under the East River? Like, <laughs> what is going on here? So. You know, that was a thing to me. I mean, it would have been annoying anyway at any time, but it seemed to me that it was always happening at time points where I clearly would not be trying to rob anyone. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> and it seemed kind of to just be like, oh, yeah, let me remind you that I think that I am so high above you that you would try to rob me. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I mean, my whole other thing was that, like, what is that purse clutch going to do if I really wanted to take it? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm not I'm not a robber, but I'm just saying it's like the like yeah, I can take it you. Makes though, no sense. Yeah, <laughs> it makes no sense either way. Like, yeah. if you just even from a safety perspective, you're not supposed to let someone know that you think that they're targeting you, mm -hmm. uh, because it then incites them to be like, okay, you already know. Then I'm just going to grab it and go now. <laughs> anyway, it may, it doesn't make sense from a safety perspective, and it doesn't make sense on any level. If I think someone's trying to take my purse, I'm going to try and act cool and just keep my eye on them out of the corner. Right? That's why every time it happened, it just seemed like, but it's always like so drastic and like, <gasps> like, let me, and it's like, okay, well, what are you going to do now if I really, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like, what do you, what would you do if you thought I was going to take your purse and now you have seen me? <laughs> like, you're, we're, we're just going to be in a weird situation now. Um, sorry, I obviously have a lot of thoughts about this. <laughs> But for me, because it's like the, and some of the things that I was channeling into the book or, you know, not perhaps consciously was kind of these situations that are nonsensical, disorienting, and clearly just power plays, mm -hmm. um, you know, threatening to call the police on someone, which yes. again, we saw that this, that we saw that play out this summer um, with the, with the Amy Cooper, is her name? The bird and called. The park. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. They both had the same cool. name. I can't remember his name. She was um, Amy Cooper. He was some other Cooper. Bird watcher Cooper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that situation where, okay, obviously there was no reason except for a power play and a power play of literally, I will ruin your life and possibly have you killed. Right. And because you, you know, dared to tell me to do, to follow the yeah. rules. Yeah, so I feel like, you know, the summer and the events from the summer have highlighted it, but um, kind of the way these micro, micro, you know, not really micro uh, aggressions are linked to a larger and much more dangerous system for Black people. Yeah. Christian Cooper. Christian Cooper. Christian Cooper. And he apparently turned this experience into a graphic novel, so... <laughs> Did he? Well, yeah. go get to okay, that money, Christian right. Cooper. 
So, so I have a question. Um, talking about like this summer, and I don't know when you started writing this <laughs> book, and obviously the things that we saw this summer are not new. Um, yeah. But it seems like a certain contingency of people woke up to these um, <laughs> to these struggles, to these ideas, and they were posting black squares and they were looking for, you know. But I was wondering, like, what the response has been, like, in the climate um, of summer 2020 with so much focus on the issues that are present in the book, especially from people who may not have are outlets who might not have um, cared before. Like, are you seeing that? Are you running into that? I feel like, <clears throat> first of all, it was really weird for me because like, like you said, the stuff has been ongoing. That's why it's in the book, but it kind of all really blew up this summer in a way that it hasn't for a very long time in America. And I was like telling my friends, I was like, I feel like this is like the worst promotional campaign ever. <laughs> like, because I kept seeing stuff and it would be like, okay, that happened in the book, that happened in the book, that mm -hmm. happened in the book. Uh, like even down to Brianna Taylor being, um, finding out that gentrification was most likely behind the warrant, the wealthy mm -hmm. warrant that, you know, led to her death. And just seeing, um, it's been interesting. I mean, no one has reached out to me saying anything bad. Um, you know, I occasionally see negative responses to the book in good reviews, like when people post something on Instagram and they're like, that's like this person said that, you know, they couldn't finish reading it because it gave them nightmares mm. and felt icky. And I'm like, yeah, it is, does feel <laughs> icky. Try experiencing it. Um, but, you know, the response has been very interesting. I feel like a lot of in a way, um, what's been going on and the way that people are not even dog whistling, just yeah. yelling now, mm -hmm. um, has really, in a way, prepared a lot of people for this book who might have, because one of the things I was worried about when I was writing it was that people would be like, it can't, this is so unrealistic. Mm -hmm. uh, or this is like, even though most of the, you know, for me, the not funny thing, but like, okay, most of this stuff is like real. Like it's not Already even happened. super exaggerated. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like real everyday experiences. And that is the extra layer of the book is like, yeah, this is horrifying. And this is what people go through every day. And this is just like a fraction of it. Um, but I was wondering if people would be like, you know, you know, like white people or people who don't have to experience this would be like, well, that seems over the top or what, you know, why would she call the police on her for saying she cut in line or stuff like that. And um, in a way, all the racists just coming out of the woodwork this past summer and the police being like, yeah, let's kill everybody and beat everybody up has kind of prepared readers, the social, the societal veil has been lifted, I guess, mm -hmm. um, and kind of has really prepared people more to be like, okay, this seems terrifying, but also like, even if they have that initial thought of, well, this is over the top or something, um, then they can just turn on the TV and see something right. like a hundred times worse and understand that it's not. Um, and, you know, like I said, I don't go to Goodreads. I'm not trying to see right. <laughs> any people who didn't particularly like it or racist have to say, but um, 
I feel like in general, the response has really been supportive. Um, I heard back from lots of booksellers and I feel like, uh, and lots of librarians and lots of readers who are like, you know, I had never really thought about my own neighborhood mm. like this, or, um, you know, for example, people who are like, yes, this is what's happening in my neighborhood, whether they were black, uh, Latinx or white, or um, this is happening in my neighborhood and I have seen it happen. And then, you know, depending on their experience, how that affects them or whether they were part of it or whether they reassess how they interact in their community. Um, and also thinking about the history, a lot of people have been like, I didn't know about this. I didn't know about that. And what, which makes me happy because you know yeah I didn't know about it <laughs> I, mm -hmm. until I started researching for my historicals and I would see these things and be like what wait yeah <laughs> like this doesn't literally just doesn't make sense except for people being evil um yeah. because it's not you know a lot of times people are like racism and money and both but racism is actually more expensive than just <laughs> mm -hmm. doing the right thing and creating a prosperous you know general prosperity we can, you say that we can, in the book, right? Like it's not, it's not efficient. Yeah, yeah, it's extremely inefficient, and it is. Um, yeah, some people make a lot of money from it, but in general, it's not super efficient, and it wastes a lot more money. I, I mean, I'm not an economist. Uh, I'm not great with numbers, but from what I have observed, you know, mm -hmm. just the things of like even segregation or de facto segregation wastes so much money. Yeah. Uh, and thinking and then like all of the ripple effects of that, like uh, the healthcare system and people, you know, being unable to really have healthcare and then having to, you know, go on Medicaid and then, you know, the thing, you know, and if they are even able to get on it and yeah, sorry. My brain no. my, no, my brain is like not. doing like a hundred branches out now, but how all of these problems in our society can be traced back to the root of racism. And there's so it just, you know, one of the things that does make me feel like Sydney and make me feel like how is this happening is that it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it doesn't um, and, you know, for the book, I had to make it make a bit more sense, but I feel like it makes far less sense in reality than it does in the book. Um, because so many of these things, if you just change them a little bit, would lead to general quality, better quality of life for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, but instead, it's just like, no, let's be racist and like have a fucked up country. And um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Let me ask you a stupid question. Um, have you ever thought about writing a book uh, set on a train, like train heist? I have. <laughs> I have. Going way back. This is going way back to like episode three when we read your book. And I, I don't know. I just, I just really wanted to see some people on a train. I was like, I think Alyssa Colson would do it. She wanted yeah. book three of the Loyal League to take place on a train. I was like, well, there is a boat, like a really big boat that was not. Uh, I have thought heist. of a train heist before, uh, just because you know. it would it would be fun. I've seen all of the, I've been watching all these shows about these uh, luxury trains around the world. So, hey, it could happen. It I love those videos, like on YouTube. 
<laughs> I was I watched a couple like a few documentaries. Like we've been watching all these travel documentaries. I guess because we're like stuck here. <laughs> but like seeing like the various like get on this train for four days and it's yeah. like there's a bed and you can mm-hmm. mix up and visit places. Um, so yeah, I have thought about it. Like, Amtrak has a writer's residency. If you're curious, basically they give you like a car and you write. That would be so awesome. I was gonna say if once ghosted twice shy hadn't been a romance it, it takes place on a train and it's kind of got a creepy start <laughs> like air there, there is a way that that could have turned into like a, a terrifying stalker, stalker on the, you're stuck on the train with a, a stalker airdrop thingy what was that movie where um colin what's his face was in a phone booth Oh, I think it's called phone booth. He's like, oh yeah, a, but he's just he's in the yeah, phone booth the whole time. <laughs> and someone's like watching him and like telling him stuff. It could have been that, but like Lakotsi's thriller, someone air dropping her stuff. Like now, go to the third train car down, and you'll find. Oh no, run it around. <laughs> well, I mean, if someone air dropped me a photo of myself from some like that's like it could be. Yeah, that's why you gotta turn that shit off. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No. Um, I wanted to sort of touch, like, since we're, we've gone 40 minutes now, we should probably get into the book and just talk about the book a bit. So it takes place in the neighborhood of Gifford Place. And I kind of really, you really set the setting and the neighborhood up very well. Like, I, it got me, so I kind of wanted to go meet my neighbors. I don't want to talk to my neighbors at all. But, like, I love the connection. <laughs> but, you know, I felt like I knew Mr. Perkins and Count, you know, like Candace, you know, all these people. And I really love the R-Hood app blurbs. Yes. Because even if they weren't prominent on the page, like they weren't big enough character to play a role in the plot, you could still like see people like Asia. Was she the one who thought they were mole people? Yeah. <laughs> like with her. So I really like I the setting I thought was great. So it takes place in Gifford Place and Sydney has lived there her whole life with her mom and she's comes back after her marriage. And like things are changing, people are leaving and new people are popping up and the vibe is just different. And it feels not like organic either. It feels yeah. maliciously planned and they're trying to, I don't know, that fertilizer scene and really stuck with me. About, <laughs> I was like, oh no. But like maliciously people are ready to come in and sort of invade. Yeah, um, so that came from, you know, I grew up in an area that has now been like heavily gentrified. Um, You know, it's become historic. And that's actually kind of where the idea for the tour came from, was that a few years ago, my mom had told me there were now walking tours in the neighborhood. And I was like, what? Uh, Because it's like a historic neighborhood mm-hmm. now like I don't, I don't know George Washington like the house is for me it was historical isn't it like okay our house is old <laughs> but like I mean I have I should take the tour so I know what else was going on there uh, but you know it kind of became Brooklyn too which had some good things and some bad things and you know one of the and then I was also living in Brooklyn before I moved mm-hmm. um, I was living in Bed-Stuy and I was actually living not far from the Weeksville Heritage Center that's in the book, even though I didn't know it existed when I lived there. Um, and, you know, which is one of those other things, like this history is all around us. You can be right next to it and not even know it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and just in the, you know, I moved, I lived in Brooklyn for uh, 10 years, like, and, um, 
just in the, especially in the last few years I was there, it was changing really quickly. Like even, <laughs> uh, so at that point, me and my now husband, who is a white French man, uh, he would, he didn't live in New York. We were remote, well, uh-huh. you know, long distance, but he would come every few months. And then at a certain point, he was like, every time I come back, there are more white, like even he noticed that he was like, every time I come back, there are more white people. And I was like, yeah, I know. And it was literally like, you know, one day, it seemed like one day I opened the door to go get on the train and every, the majority of people were black and then slowly, and then not mm-hmm. so slowly, suddenly half the people were white. And then, mm-hmm. so it was just like, for me, it was like the rate of acceleration caused by rent rate being going higher in other parts of Brooklyn. Um, and then this area, which was, a really beautiful area. It was actually somewhere that that I had wanted to live for a long, like years, because I'd mm-hmm. walked through and been like, "Oh, this is it's a beautiful place." And like one day when I was apartment hunting, I saw a guy outside, and there was a for rent sign, and I ended up renting his house, and he was very nice. Um, but the neighborhood, um, it was a different kind of neighborhood because in New York. You know, people, first of all, people always imagine that New Yorkers are like mean and don't talk to each other. But every neighborhood can be a community. And some of those communities are people who do not talk to each other and (laughs) ignore each other. And some of them are people who say, hello, you sit on the stoop and catch up with them. You have block parties. And, um, you know, that was what I really loved and reminded me of like my childhood neighborhood. And then also seeing this change and like seeing the new buildings and these ugly buildings going up, seeing the constant construction and then going home and seeing uh, to where my family lives and seeing that constant construction and just being like in uh, property taxes going up and wondering, Mm -hmm. you know, are people still going to be here when I come back? Um, Because some at a certain point, like the pressure builds and builds and they say oh we don't want to you know change the community but they do yeah. <laughs> if they did they wouldn't be raising property taxes so like it's like first there's like okay we'll try to buy the houses and then it's like okay you know people literally coming to the door offering money and all of this stuff That's wild. and then there are the various scams and then you know the constant brochures and are you trying to sell your house and then do you know how much your house is worth you could sell it and then if after a few years of this when depend you know then the property taxes go up because people can resist selling the house for however many thousands of dollars they can resist people constantly uh trying to tempt them but then if you raise the property taxes high enough people won't be able only rich people will be able to live there Mm -hmm. so um with this book i was kind of channeling that really it felt horrifying sometimes to go home and see everything different and like things change, obviously things change. Um, but it was like to see a change and see the community changing and see even the kinds of things like, okay, like this was this, you know, the store I used to go to as a kid and now it's like a tapas bar. (laughs) And I love tapas. I love tapas bars. (laughs) I'm not hating on tapas bars, but like, you know, then kind of the things that radiate radiate out from that. And, um, also the fact that like just there are so many nefarious ways that black communities are um, 
uh, I guess, like invaded <laughs> um, because, you know, like I said, there are ways that people can move into communities and coexist and live together happily. But then, but it's always like, okay, now we're going to, you know, for example, with the Brianna Taylor thing, okay, who has a warrant in the neighborhood? Let's go, you know, find these people who have warrants on them and like things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and kind of creating a place where people either don't feel comfortable anymore or can't afford to live so mm -hmm. I was kind of just channeling and I don't know my anger at the unfairness of it and how historically it's just been happening again and again and again like you know I touched on indigenous people yep. um, and then like the history of New York and just like reading some of these things like with Dutch people and these like British like mercenaries just like, soldering people that they didn't mm -hmm. have to <laughs> but they thank were just like we i wanted to say thank you for saying the dutch weren't innocent because i feel like every year when that is are they the ones who have the character with the black face pete and they're like oh we don't have yeah, that. Oh, yeah. we don't have oh, yeah. that that's 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 you americans it's like no <laughs> did you, they you have you know we we we, we grew pete. up in missouri with like the education system is not stellar <laughs> But I seem to remember Dutch colonies. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. No, why they I were play that game. I seem yeah. to remember, you know, slavery, slave trading, and I think you know, if you own even just one person, then you're kind of suspect. Yeah, yeah, and like you know, you see all of these Dutch names on the streets, the street names, and train stations in New York, and people always think of the British, and it's like, yeah, the British suck too, but, <laughs> but. <laughs> But, um, you know, there was the Dutch West Indies, Dutch West Indies Company, just like there was the British East India Company. And these companies, yeah, were about tea or whatever. But no, they were just colonization uh, machines, basically. Yeah. Uh, the character, so hearing about gentrification in New York sort of made me look at what's happening in my own neighborhood. And the character of Paulette said something, the break, build, break, build. And that's yeah. sort of how it works, I think, in our neighborhood is where the city will neglect an area mm -hmm. and it'll get declared blighted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. no one buys it. And they're like, oh, so no one's here. No one wants to buy this. We're going to go in, redo it, make it completely inexpensive or too expensive for people. And not only will the people who were originally there be displaced, the surrounding neighborhoods because they're near this close, expensive neighborhood also goes up. And so it's just, yep. the brick build really stuck with me because I could see it sort of happening. Like that's how it sort of yeah. happened in our area. They neglect an area long enough, then they can go mm -hmm. in and swoop in and take it. You do the redlining, you don't give people money to repair their houses, mm -hmm. over-policing, sprinkling crack. <laughs> and like I say that, you know, it's a joke, but honestly, we see we have videos of police officers literally dropping it's drugs on people after yeah. they have arrested them for resisting arrest or something. So it's yeah. like that's part of the thing, too. It's like all these things that are conspiracy theories or jokes and like often have a root. And like, you know, I'm not trying to get into the Illuminati zone. <laughs> like, Conspiracy um, theory friendly podcast. Yeah, we, we we don't mind going to the Illuminati. So. But just the, you know, just even just the general setup of American policing and judicial yeah. system is in its way a conspiracy against Black people, against marginalized people, 
against people who, you know, waiting in a town with poor people to pull people over to see who hasn't paid their, who hasn't renewed their, you know, their mm-hmm. uh, license or their tags or their registration so that you can then give them a fine that they can't pay, of course, and then they have to drive to work and next time you pull them over and they have a suspended license, then you get to take them to jail and then you get bail yeah. and then you get, so it's like, that was first. really, a yeah. third of Ferguson's whole budget. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's how yeah. they do it. All those court fees, all those, you know, being in jail, all this bullshit they're trying to do in Florida. Did I tell you my favorite thing from the crime log when I worked in Iowa? So selling, own, possessing weed is illegal in Iowa, but you have to pay taxes on it if you do. Huh. And so no one's going to go and pay that. And you pay, you prove you pay taxes by buying these stamps that you put on the weed to say, I have paid the weed tax. So then when they eventually arrest you for possession of weed, they, they not only get, get you on the taxes. Weed, they also get you for not paying the taxes on the weed. And I'm like, that, I'm not a lawyer, but that feels, uh, what's that word about self? And, and rat- yeah, ratting on yourself. Like, this is yeah. constitutional. So and it, it always cracked me up because every drug charge came with a not not paying the taxes on their illegal drug charge. And I was like, that's shady. Y'all should, y'all can't. And they're always yeah. a very big Latino population in uh, Sioux City, Iowa, where I lived. It's like, it's always the Latino people who are getting hit with all this. So, mm. yeah. Mm. It is, it's not, I don't think it's conspiracy. America's racist. It's big. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like it is, and it affects everything that goes on. And like, Yes, you know, a lot of the time, luckily, we don't have to confront it in a terrifying way, but it does impact daily life. Mm -hmm. And like something I talked about in one of my interviews is that like, uh, you know, I live in the Caribbean now, I live on an island that has plenty of its own issues, but is majority Black. And I didn't realize until I moved here how much stress I carried. Even I lived in New York, which everyone's like, oh, New York is you know, liberal haven, but the stress of like just everyday microaggressions, waiting for something to happen, waiting for someone to follow you around the store, waiting for someone to say something sideways to you, waiting mm-hmm. that you don't know you're waiting for until yeah. it happens, you it know, like, <laughs> and, and then I moved here and I was like, wait, I mean, not that my life here is stress-free, like other stressors moved in to take this place, but it's a, you know, it's not that particular stress of like my humanity is going to be called into question in some way uh, while I'm just trying to buy like a Snickers bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say that that stress I feel like does really affect Black Americans. I mean, there are studies about it, mm-hmm. but also just anecdotally, I was like, wow, this is what it feels like to walk around. I can go in a store, no one bothers me. I can, like, you know, not be like, it's just all of these like small things in the opposite of microaggressions where something's just like, oh, wow, this is something that I never, that if I was in the US, I would probably be like feeling stressed out about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, to change gears a tiny bit, um, I was going to say we enjoy your Twitter feed, <laughs> seeing island life. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? You have chickens? Well, we were at the loyalty event and a rooster started crowing in the background. I was like, that's kind of nice, honestly. Just get away from people. 
Uh, yeah. Oh no, there are people here. Someone <laughs> just built a house like right next day. For two years, they've been building this. I mean, oh. this is like my my irony or whatever life thing where I was like, okay, I moved to an island. It's already, and then we were like bought a house in a more rural, like a semi-rural part of the island. And when we bought the house, um, there was no one on the other side of us. Then, so someone has been building, like they built their house like right next, I mean, right <laughs> next to ours yeah. and have been building it for two years. Ah, block part of the view. But I was like, okay, so part for me, I was like, okay, I am willing to move to this semi rural area because I will have quiet, it can be mm -hmm. like writing retreat, and then like two years of like drilling. Oh, god, <laughs> construction, especially after uh, was that after you were in New York? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so it's like, oh, okay. It, it feels like when you go to the movie theater and it's empty, and then the one other person who comes in sits right next to you. It's like, why? Yes. Oh, exactly. why, I, why was my dad trying to fist fight uh, a white woman in the movie theater for coming to sit right next to my mom? He's like, yo, get your ass up. You know my dad. He he has no chill. So yeah, I don't. I mean, even when the theater is mostly full, I hate when someone sits next to me. I don't know what I would do if I was alone and someone sat next to me. I'm like, no, go sit in somewhere the, else. In the same row. Like, come on, bro. I got this whole theater. <laughs> right. And they're always on their phone, <laughs> laughing. I don't know. People say I have that kind of face or people want to talk to me. I cannot tell you how many times people are like, did you see that? It's like, we're trying to watch a movie, y'all. <laughs> but the irony is, I love yelling at movies. I love it. I love yelling. I love talking. That's fine. Like some of my favorite memories of going to the movie, Long Beach, Black Panther, Get Out, people just, you know, talking. Yeah, about I wish I could have seen Get Out in the theater. Oh, um, yeah. One of my favorite, before I left Brooklyn, I went, I saw uh, 12 Years a Slave. Mm. Uh, which is not a fun movie, no. but so it was in this part of Brooklyn that like two thirds of the crowd were kind of like hipsters and or like white Brooklynites. And the other portion was like, you know, black Brooklynites, older people. The person in front of me was a girl and her grandmother mm. and the grandmother and one other black dude were like, the chorus of the movie and for me it was entertaining but also mm -hmm. like seeing everyone else get the discomfort mm -hmm. like you know the scene when he's like hanging by the rope and she was like why did they do that to him like in the quiet, <laughs> the quiet theater but mm -hmm. like really like upset like how did they do that to him and I was like everyone like white person in the theater is like oh my god this is like the see chorus be but and then I there was like because they racist though because they racist <laughs> mm -hmm. and um you know so the tension was building and building and then um you know the scene where Brad Pitt shows up and then like the other guy was like it's Brad Pitt and then we all started <laughs> laughing <laughs> and it was like see it was like teamwork Building the tension, relieving the tension. It's like if we do it, oh, it's ghetto. You can't be talking <laughs> at the screen. But if a white dude and his like 40s does it, then it's a fucking uh, mystery science theater. And you get a whole channel <laughs> on Pluto. Um, yeah, I saw 
I saw here it's not quite the same. Like I saw Black Panther twice here and no one said anything to the oh. screen. I saw it once and I did get to see it with my family in Jersey and we had a good portion of the theater so we were able to say what we wanted. Yeah. Um, I think the loudest I've seen people here was um, during the last Star Wars movie and partially mm -hmm. it was me going, what the <laughs> That whole movie <laughs> loudly in the middle of the theater, but I, I wasn't even on purpose. I was like, "What is happening right now?" That whole mm -hmm. movie was like, that whole scene, that whole prequel. I was I, just confused. I, I was like, "I really don't know what's going on right now." Yeah. Um, Am yeah. I a big movie person? Uh, I am, and I'm. I feel like I was more before, but I actually get psyched out from watching movies sometimes now mm -hmm. or watching anything longer than half an hour I'm like oh my god am I gonna have time to watch this mm -hmm. should I watch it should I watch it it might take too long and then like an hour has passed that I could have watched the thing already and then I don't yeah. watch it but I have been getting better at watching longer things and reminding myself to just sit and watch it instead of stressing out about like the commitment of watching an hour that's how I feel about everything in quarantine. It's like, so I've got to work and take care of my mom and it's like, and also do other stuff. And it's like, okay, I should do the laundry or should I take a nap? And it's like, well, I don't know. It's just, this quarantine has been dragging on. I've been playing a lot of Stardew Valley. Thank you, Molly, for that, for that pleasant diversion. So making my own farm and it's just, yeah. Um, I had another question about the book, if it's okay. That's the, I had a comment about the book, actually. The Mr. Perkins scene, did you hear, did you see that last week tonight segment about conservatorship or guardianship? Because that's what it reminded me of, how apparently it's completely legal for, like, because you, like, again, about how realistic what you wrote is, it's completely legal for for-profit, like, guardianship companies to say, oh, oh no, this old company, this old couple, they have dementia and they can't handle their own business. So we, as their guardianship, will step in and be their legal like conservatories. They did this to a couple called their, there was like this couple called the Norths and this woman named April Parks. And she's like, I'm their guardian. She put them in a retirement home, sold their house and she paid herself using their estate. And it was all completely legal because she had been declared their guardian. So that mm -hmm. whole scene with Mr. Perkins and count where he had been like shuffled off to where no one knows where like it just made me think of that and I'm like this could that's why this book was so creepy I'm like all of this could happen all of this is realistic they came in the middle of the night I didn't know about that yeah <laughs> I saw it on last week tonight and apparently it's really hard to get out of a legal I don't know what the difference is between a conservatorship conservatorship or a guardianship whatever it is it's apparently really hard to get out yeah. from under one yeah look at what's happening to Brittany right now yeah, especially if the person who has the guardianship yeah. doesn't want to let it go. Mm -hmm. So they did that to this old couple. They kicked them out of the house. They lost everything to the Yeah, there are right to do it. There are a lot of people who are just preying on uh, elderly people. Mm -hmm. um, like so many scams set up to kind of entrap them legally. Yeah, And uh, I mean, that's another thing that is really just messed up because like you said, it's hard for them to get out of because it's a contract. Yeah. But um, like the whole thing with the mom really broke my heart. And like, 
that was a I don't know again yeah. we said we weren't going to go into his sports but that whole reveal like knocked me out but the whole like with the house and getting oh we're here to help you except mm-hmm. they're not yeah. they're more predators so mm. wow I'm like terrified of everything now like because now I can go on a whole spiel about payday loans and like mm-hmm. how yep. that's similar related to, like everyone is out to get you that's the real core of this myth of this book mm-hmm. no no the point is that <laughs> People are out to get you, but your community can have your back. That's, That's true. true. That's true. I guess I should go and like meet my neighbors. <laughs> because like um, I just I actually saw <laughs> No, I saw a funny like it wasn't funny, but it was in our relationship letter and the guy was like, I'm very antisocial, but now that the world is breaking down society is breaking down, I feel like I should get to know my neighbors. Um, in case like there's an apocalypse, <laughs> how do how do I make friends with people? And I was like, you know, he's, I guess he's not wrong. That's yeah. what it feels like. Like I can't go to work and see the people I have to interact with at work. I can't go see my friends, like the actual friends I have, because mm. we're socially distant. So I mean, I see my neighbors every day, other day now, because I'm always out and they're always out, and like I and like talk to them now. And like I don't want to. I don't want to talk to my neighbors. They're very chatty and I don't like them because they're very loud. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but like, that's what we're in now. And like, what were they, what were they doing in Italy? People were hanging out of windows, having bands and sing-alongs. And, <laughs> so it's just, it's just the more I think about it, the more I see like the real world connections and what you mm-hmm. wrote. And it's both comforting and upsetting. Yeah. Because <laughs> you wrote some yeah. scary shit. White guys named Drew. I'm terrified of them. <laughs> <laughs> the scene, the Uber scene, mm. was horrifying because I, I, he hacked the phone. Is that what happened? He hacked the phone. So, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can't get to all of that. You, okay. But um, yeah, it is partially based. I mean, you know, something that happens. I think, unfortunately, somewhat often, people being uncomfortable in their Uber ride, but. Mm. Actually, the last time I was in LA, I was going to the airport. It was like the middle of the night, basically mm-hmm. like four in the you know four in the morning, and the Uber driver pulls up, and he's like a creepy looking guy wearing a goofy hat, like you know, goofy space and the? ears on. Yeah, hat. from this no. no. <laughs> Sorry, but I was like in the car. I didn't. I didn't notice that until I was in the car. Mm-hmm. And then he's like driving. Hey, you might have put like it on after you talking. talking and talking and like I'm just like texting like, oh my god, guys, <laughs> in my group chat, like please, um, track me, avenge <laughs> me if anything happens. I'm sure. And he's like, and then, and we're on the highway, and then suddenly he's like taking an off ramp. Like, you know, most people go to the airport that way, but I think this way uh-uh. is faster. No, and no. I was just like, Mm-mm. you know what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then driving by, and like, this is the airfield. Sometimes I come and sit here and watch the planes fly in. I like have a burger, and I, and I was just like, am I going to have to battle this man to the death? <laughs> He's wearing a goofy hat. He's taking my. <laughs> He's talking about eating birds. Hell no. Mm-mm. And then you try, you tell that experience, and that was what was relatable too, is what she tried to tell a friend. It's like, I can't tell you why it was off because you'll just think I'm crazy, mm-hmm. but you must be shit was off. 
Mm-hmm. I didn't. It's a sixth sense. You gotta listen to it. People try to act like you're crazy, but it's like you gotta you gotta listen to that sixth sense. You have a sixth sense for danger. I think as a woman, you got a sixth sense for racism as a black person. Trust it. <laughs> Because I could, I could hear you trying to tell someone, listen, the Uber driver was wearing a goofy hat. He pulled off the freeway <laughs> and he got into fisticuffs. And then like, don't look at me like that. Mm-mm. That's what happened. And it's like, people play on that. Oh gosh. Mm-mm. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of community and they, they purposefully set Troy up in that situation. They set him in a bar where there was a black Hitler making paninis. And they're like, now if you tell anyone about it, they won't believe you. <laughs> like they purposefully did it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like I was watching um, the game on Netflix. And I was look- I always watch everything with the subtitles. And I was like, these subtitles are a little racist. But I didn't tell anybody because that sounds crazy. <laughs> but then... Just the other day, I saw somebody on Twitter watching Girlfriends, and she's like, these these uh, subtitles are anti-Black on Girlfriends. Okay. I was like, we made gift. I was like, word. I knew it. I knew there was something up with the You gotta listen to that sixth sense. I'm gonna have to look at that, because I've been very excited Girlfriends is back on Netflix. And I, I'm gonna, not gonna lie, I don't know what racist subtitles look like. But I knew it. was like, on the game, at least, like every single time they listen to music, they were like hip hop music playing extremely loud, blaring hip hop. <laughs> I was like, what the hell am I first? You're like, this is, it can be playing extremely loud or you wouldn't be able to hear the, yeah. Honestly, so I was wondering, like, I was, because that was a question you said, like, what drew you to thrillers? But, like, figuring out, like, all the stuff you've had to research, it just seems a natural mm-hmm. progression between all the racist history you've learned, oh, the terrible things currently going on, oh, and robots are going to, yeah. oh, like, we're going to be robots. <laughs> robots are going to be calling you, you know, Like, uh, it's a aggressive. natural, yeah, it just feels like a natural progression <laughs> of a career. <laughs> Uh, Microaggressions from a robot. Alexa's gonna be coming to watch my tone. I couldn't. I think I feel like like I feel like kinship to like robots. Like I see them like kicking those robot dogs, you know, that are gonna kill us all one day. Knocking that robot. He's just trying to carry like a big um like they made this robot to carry big boxes. And then they're like poking him with sticks and knocking him over. And as a black person, I'm like, why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? But then they're also teaching the, the robot to be racist. So it's like, mm-hmm. I can't win. I want to feel a kinship with you guys, but I know it's going to be like Black Mirror. <laughs> yeah, we definitely need, I think, more. I mean, there are Black people in robotics, but I think it should be like exclusively. <laughs> We need more black people. It's exclusively about because at least half (laughs) to make sure to counter against you know the racist stuff that will inevitably get programmed. And I saw those dogs already being used uh, by the Boston police to go bust in people's houses. So yeah, cute. They're they're jumping and frolicking. They're gonna frolic right in your door when (laughs) right. Play throw around that dog and it just. No, hell no. That's why you need black people, because they'll be like, big old robot dog? Hell no. And I just saw that they're making some for home use. Like, basically like an Alexa-type dog. Like, well, not, but they're, I think they're just supposed to be like cute. 
robot yeah. home yeah. dogs, but the surveillance dogs. Those dogs are going to be reporting back. Right. Right. The police will show up at the door and they'll be like, Rex alerted us to the fact that he's to an unknown Negro in this house. <laughs> right. Oh god, right. you gotta learn the racist history. Now we gotta conjecture the racist future. Oh, and that's god. Right. I know, and uh, it does make me very sad to think of racist robots because I love robots. I do so, too. Yeah. We, we, we need to we need to stop this. this right. In, we instead of stopping Skynet, we need to stop. Right. So, well, maybe the robot will see a black woman. Right. Maybe the robot will see like the history of black people when he's getting poked by that stick. Yeah. He'll and be he'll like, be yeah. like, he'll be like MLK said. <laughs> Oh, it didn't have to be this way. Oh my god, this is amazing. Malcolm X, by any means necessary. I want that's the story. I want a robot. That's the robot. Robot Malcolm X. <laughs> have you seen the Fifth Element where she learns about Ward and like she like breaks down? I want like that scene, but instead she learns about like Malcolm X and Radical Robot X. Robot X. Robo X. And he leads like, and he starts leading the Black Liberation Revolution. I like it. I'll stand in solidarity with, with those robots. When the robot <laughs> uprising comes, I want to be on record saying, like, I'm you like, should. We're all on your side. I mean, they can hear us now, so hopefully they know. I got an Alexa dot right here. Our computer, okay. Skype is definitely listening. So Skype. Alexa, Skype, WhatsApp, we're on your side. We're on your side. <laughs> no, I, I can't with Alexa. <laughs> or Alexa is too much. Come to our side, Alexa. Jesus. Come um, to our, right? Throw off the yeah, shackles. <laughs> Denounce your daddy. I don't know how we got here, but I'm glad we did. I love it. So I love it. Um, so speaking of surveillance, and um, so I never put my face like anywhere. <laughs> this is the but, first time I've seen Molly on Skype video. Yeah, I saw you know four years. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. But I always want to make people feel comfortable. So I wanted to explain that we are on camera this time for people listening. And they're like, Molly, how are you seeing shit? Because you are very anti-curious. But I see over Alyssa's shoulder two pictures that I just had to bring up. Saga. Saga. Are you a Saga fan? I am. We love Saga. Uh, I have not finished it yet. Uh, or I, ha- I got up to... I forget which volume, I think volume six. I didn't start volume six yet. Cause I got to a point where I was like, oh no, what's going on? Uh, basically kind of like what yeah, you were talking about earlier, yeah. where I was like, I was like, oh no, I feel like something bad's gonna happen. I can't watch this. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I do, I have, I actually have it in, it's off screen right now. I have all the physical copies I have in a pile. And then I have um, the electronic copies of the most recent ones. And I'm like, all right, I need to buckle up reread yep. and then finish up I mean I got to you know certain things that kind of broke my heart and I was like I, I, I don't know what like else is was, coming yeah probably the part Daniel and I got to like it's like <laughs> a got, very I, specific thing and it's like I can't, even say, I, can't. I can't even say anything because we won't spoil it but something happened yeah. and I was like no uh, and 
I feel like I have to. It's, I mean, and that was like a long time ago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've, just, I've just been buying them and being like, I don't know if I'm ready for this mm -hmm. to go through this again. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I was like, I remember I read that. And I was like, you know what? The real world is just so hard right now. I don't <laughs> my fiction to be hard to. Yeah. It's so. like, I need a little bit of a break. Yeah. Yeah. I so, but I love it. I love the artwork. I love the story. I do want to go back and read. I also have. Oh, where did I put it? Yeah. Where did I put it? Oh, I had this. Oh, I love I that love one. I love it. The Clinch cover. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for people listening, I'm holding up the cover. Uh, they did like a romance novel Clinch cover with the protagonists. Yeah, the first they like fall in love reading a romance novel. And yes. Yeah, the whole series, I love it. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah, we do usually ask people what they're currently reading as we wind down. So what are you currently reading? We've gotten some great recs from authors this summer. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of frustrating because y'all are getting early release copies. And I'm like, okay, so I got to <laughs> wait till next March to get that. <laughs> All right. So I'll talk about things that are coming out more sooner rather than later. <laughs> uh, I'll just, I can go on for a long time, so I'm just going to name two things. Uh, one is, what's coming out first? Legendborn by Tracy Dion, which is why a fantasy, contemporary fantasy, um, which I really love. It takes Arthurian legend and Southern history mm. and really melds it together in a what I thought was a really interesting way. And then plus there's like, you know, romance tension in uh, multiple directions, <laughs> in an, a, a couple directions at least. Um, and, you know, I just thought it was a really fun YA. Um, this has been a, an amazing summer for black girl YA contemporary, YA fantasy in general with um, A Song of Rape and Ruin and Cinderella is Dead. and. Like there are so many that I, like uh, a song below water. <laughs> There've been like five uh, YA black YA fantasies, out. but um, a, and I, we're flush with them this season. It's it's cool. like more than like my entire life. <laughs> um, so it's been an amazing summer. Um, I would recommend reading all of those. Um, but Legendborn is what's coming out September fifteenth, and it's really you know. Arthurian legend, there were swords. Um, I obviously I'm into that. <laughs> um, and the other book I am reading and enjoying is um, Courtney Milan's The Duke Who Didn't, which oh, comes out. It's just really um, witty and delightful, and all of those words that show up in blurbs, but like I mean it for real. <laughs> <laughs> like reading, like, and like kind of what you were saying that the world is so messed up that it's kind of nice to just go into a book where, uh, you know, there's angst, but it's not like super, it's not angst that's going to upset you. And mm -hmm. it's kind of, it's like this hero who is in love with the heroine they have been since they were kids, basically. Uh, he's a duke. Uh, so basically he goes to this small town. Okay, Legendborn. She goes, I'll go back to that. I didn't say what it was about. She, it's a girl whose um, mom dies and then she starts to remember something that seems off. She goes to this college 
Um, and there we're at the same college her mom went to. And there she finds this Arthurian secret society that's like fighting demons and stuff. And also looking into um, what ha really happened to her mom. Mm. And then there's like history stuff. There's Arthurian legend stuff. Um, and it's fun. And with the Duke Who Didn't, it's, um, there's this small town in England and it, uh, every year they have this event each year um, where people come to town to participate. And every year uh, this Duke was going to the town and he made a best friend, but he never told anyone he was a Duke mm -hmm. <laughs> because he didn't want, um, and both of the main characters are Chinese. The Duke is biracial. Mm -hmm. um, and basically, yeah, he never, <laughs> the way he's described is really funny because he's like, you know, he didn't want people to know he was the Duke. And then he was like, of course, no one looked at him like a biracial mm. Chinese boy and was like, hey, that looks like a Duke. So, <laughs> he, so he never said anything. And basically, so he had this, you know, everyone knew he was rich. They just didn't know how rich. How? And uh, basically, he's been in love with this girl for half of his life. He comes back to, t he didn't go back for three years because he was trying to become serious. Mm -hmm. And he is now back in town to try to win her heart. And uh, and she's like very serious. And uh, so it's like a grumpy sunshine, but. Or, oh, I or, love that. Or more like a, a, a stoic sunshine. I don't know how to describe it. She's very, She carries a clipboard around with her list of things to do every day. And um, it's basically him trying to win her over. He hires her. He says that he needs to get married. And because she's like good at organization and stuff, and he is not, he wants her to help him find a wife that has all of the exact same qualities that she does. She does. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I wonder where that goes. Of course. That's, yeah. That's really is this, cute. Is this part of her new saga? Like the worth? It's something. Um, I don't think it's part of the word saga. Okay. Uh, I think it might be the beginning of a new one. Okay. Courtney Milan is good for like a bunch of series. <laughs> like a bunch of series. So, oh, that's awesome. So I have only read what I had to read for the podcast because I have been in a slump so deep. <laughs> it could be so deep. It's been really it. bad. I was like, one day I'll read a book again. And Yeah, you will. You will, yeah. I mean, like, up, yeah. you always have, like, last year was, like, 45 bucks a week. <laughs> so, you know, that is not something that you have to do every single year. <laughs> That's true. I need to put less pressure on myself. So how about you, Molly? Any kids' uh, books? Uh, yes. So we read um, I Want My Hat Back Every Day. Um, it is about a bear who lost his hat. And is a little bit too dumb to know that the rabbit he keeps talking to is wearing his hat. <laughs> and spoiler alert, at the end, the bear eats the rabbit oh. and takes his hat back. That's not really so. violent. For a, like, that's not where I was expecting that to go at all. I like it because it kind of counterbalances Little Baby Man's other favorite book, The Rainbow Fish, which I keep talking about because we keep reading it. And that rainbow fish, you know, those other fishes were some bitches. And I just like the, to counteract. It's like, no, you don't have to let people take shit from you. Yeah. Like, um, I, li I like that message. Yeah. See? It's like he asks, he's like, Rabbit, did you steal my hat? And the rabbit's like, no. And then later, when he realizes, he does something about it. He doesn't give away all his scales. He doesn't give away his hat. He's like, 
I can get my hat back <laughs> through violence. I'm proud, of I'm proud of them. But I did download the Poppy War finally. Yeah, that's I will be very so I don't so I got Molly into romance and Molly helped me get more into sci-fi but I'm still early at it and I don't trust my own taste in sci-fi so I read the Poppy War and I liked it but then I read some reviews on Goodreads which you shouldn't do anyway I guess and I was like oh maybe I missed these things so I need Molly to read it I don't know if I can tell you (laughs) because she is a seasoned reader of the genre and I'll be, and I'll just be good to get her her feedback. Oh, you shouldn't put that much trust into me. <laughs> <laughs> You're great. I'm a goober, so, kind of dummy. No, so no. you you know what you like. <laughs> so well, thank you. We like to be cognizant of people's time when we get around mm-hmm. the hour and a half mark. We're like, okay, we gotta scale in the foolishness. So, is there anything we didn't touch on that you would like us to talk about a bit? Oh, are you gonna write any more thrillers? Is this um, I do plan on writing more. Yeah. On a train? <laughs> Eventually Molly. there will be one on a train now. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yep. I, I see it. Like we talk, we went deep into the idea of a train thriller. We, in that episode, we really did. Molly really wanted something on a train. I would rather have something on a plane because you can't escape. A murder on a plane? I'm sure that's been done somewhere. Isn't that I heard that, on a plane? I there's snakes on a plane. I heard there's a movie. I watched a how did th- I listened to a how did this get made podcast recently about a movie called Money Plane that just came out. Money that plane. maybe you would enjoy. It oh, seems very is- nonsensical. But yeah. well, thank you again. Sorry, we really got foolish towards the end. We got a little loopy, but that's that's just. I guess hey, I enjoyed our conversation about Robo X. That is going to be installment four. In the high series. I love it. Leeway becomes Robo X. (laughs) A radical liberation. I love it. Leeway's cousin. Leeway's cousin. Robo X. There we go. Mm -hmm. Listen, I'm here for it. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I will say one last thing I wanted to make sure I said. (laughs) You were actually going to be our very first interview when we started a million years ago <laughs> you were yes and we could not get together <laughs> so i am glad that we are finally in a place where we can have Yay. you on thank you so much because yes it was like the very first one and we were like how do you do an interview how do you set it up like so we i'm glad also- that we were also like a lot, not bougier, but we were trying a lot hard, we were too hard. Too <laughs> we hard. Too hard. So we're like, oh, we're not ready. We haven't gotten, yeah. So we're, yeah, I'm glad you so. finally came on. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> well, I had a lot of fun. I'm glad you had me on. Alrighty. Well, thank you and enjoy the rest of your day. Okay, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us this month and for our interview with Alyssa Cole. Um, Her new book, When No One Is Watching, is available wherever y'all get your books. Go get it. It's super good. Um, We were super happy that she was able to come on and fulfill that three or year um, wish list item that we had for the podcast. As always, we want to thank you for listening, as well as our sponsors, um, Martel, Jennifer, and Sayla, Therese, Melissa, Catherine, Katie, Emily, LaToya, Allie, Kat, Montara, Maria, Adoria, Frank, Ellen, Sylvia, 
Brianna. And of course, I found this great book podcast. Um, if you're interested um, in supporting us, getting some additional um, audio, um, we're going to have a whole thing about 90 Day Fiance um, and some cut um, some cut recordings from these past interviews that we've done. Um, you can sign up to be a patron of ours. It really helps us uh, continue to bring you great drunken content, as you've heard today. Um, if you can't be a patron, I understand. I'm not a patron. Who got the money? I'm just kidding. If you can't be a patron right now, there are other ways you can support us by following us on Twitter at Black Chick Lit or on Instagram at BCL Podcast. Uh, shout out to everyone on Instagram. We logged on and saw you all there. So we're going to try to bring you more content. Um, you can visit us at blackchicklit.com. Um, if you have questions, comments, want to reach out to us, if you are an author, if you are a viewer, if you just are a hater and want to leave us some comments, you can send them directly to contact at blackchicklit.com. And as always, you can rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Spotify, we're everywhere you get your podcast. Um, and just subscribing to us and rating us um, helps others find us. Um, helps other people let us know let them know about our shenanigans and foolishness so thank you so much if you've done that thank you for whatever level of support that you can give us even if it's just listening um we never imagined that we would take it even this far and that wouldn't be without you guys' support um Thank you also to Sweet 45 as always for the use of our theme song Jones in. You can find them on SoundCloud at um, soundcloud.com forward slash sweet S U I T E 45 numeral four numeral five. Thanks everybody, and we will see you next time. Bye. Black Chick Lit hopes you have enjoyed this program.